0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Hello, I'm Scott Sajna. and I'm Evan Novi Williams. And this is the Bienvenidos a Miami Sports Business Podcast, the Sportacast.
2: I, is that is that Will Smith esque or is that somebody <laughs> that is else?
1: Will Smith esque, Scott. Good, good uh, all to get right, there. Good I head. it would have
2: been nice if, if Will back then knew that the F one stop in the Miami Grand Prix was coming, I guarantee you there would have been some line. I don't know how you rhyme Max Verstappen and you know what something's happened, Max <laughs> Verstappen.
1: <laughs> the fans are clapping. Yeah. Yes,
2: fans are clapping, toes are tapping, Max Verstappen. I don't know. <laughs> this may be the worst opening we've ever done, but I kind of like it. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but I, but I kind of like it. I, I, know, I already know the three people we're going to hear from about this <laughs> open.
1: How bad it was.
2: Yeah, yeah, we don't need to name them, but we know the three people that will. Uh, I was in Miami. I, mm-hmm. uh, I took this one. I took the hit and, and went to Miami. Uh, even with my alabaster skin, I took the sunshine. And you know, I, again, uh, F1 had an event where they wanted to focus on sort of the, 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 the circuit as a technology leader, much like the NBA has its tech summit. Uh, of course, Lewis Hamilton kicked it off, and anytime he's involved, you know, you're going to get a lot of attention. And, you know, the, the fact that, that F1 is just booming in America, you know, all these outside sports leagues, you have the EPL trying to take tours, they're trying to summer games between the top brands, and they're trying to figure out how do you win America – the F1 is halfway there. <laughs> they are bringing Sizzle to first stop Miami, then there's Austin, and of course we've got Las Vegas coming as well. Whether or not there'll be more stops on the circuit, who knows, but they are they are certainly entrenched in the U.S. sports mindset right now.
1: And they've done, um, I'm talking specifically here about Miami and Vegas, I think they've done such a good job of picking venues, right? I think that the two U.S. locations that I think fit so perfectly into the glitz and glamour luxury, glitz, and sexy, and yeah, gambling yeah. and and all those things that 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 F1 uh really pushes in a lot of its locations around the country. It does make me wonder a little bit about Austin, which was a, a track built specifically for this. Uh, it's it's a little bit outside of Austin. I'm not sure how much it fits in with the other two, uh especially because F1 from what I understand doesn't like to stop all that much in in, in the same country uh, every year on the calendar, but uh, Miami. This is year number two. You've been down there for both, Scott, and then this will be year one in Las Vegas. Both of those locations, uh, specifically going down the Vegas Strip, I think is so perfect to to the overall kind of vibe of what F one and its and its corporate partners, what they're all trying to accomplish.
2: I but I think you definitely need to wait until year three mm. to figure out. Do we have something here or not? Year one, you can write off because it's just an event. The new, yep. everybody wants to sample it. Then you sort of see a little bit of a trend. Year two, you fix the kinks. What mistakes were made in year one? You fix them. You see if the people respond. Pretty good attendance at Miami. And then now you go into year three next year. And you see, okay, do the sponsors come back? Do the general fans come back? Is the interest there? You get a, a good indication of... Of whether or not this is going to be a long-term viable event, but you got to wait to year three to see uh, to see where the trend line is going.
1: I I am by no means an F one fan, nor Uh, I, and my perspective. What I'm about to say comes from the fact that I do not follow F one at all. The F one feels more so than almost any other sport that I'm aware of. The the on field on court on track results seems so secondary in so many ways to what the F1 experience seems to be just in, in kind of casually following on Twitter all weekend. I saw so much more interviews from the pit and, and random celebrity appearances and, and interviews of celebrities on at the track, etc. So much more of that than I actually saw about who won. I didn't actually realize who won. I think we talked about this last year in Miami. I had to click around on ESPN.com. ESPN is F1's partner. I had to click around just to find well Let winner. me ask you this,
2: then. Novi Williams, let yeah. me ask you this. You're going to have the F1 hardcore fan. Yep. They're not going anywhere, so the, they, you know that takes care of them. Just running the race and for and winning that, uh, great. You know, oh, track conditions and all that, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But when you're trying to reach the casual fan, that fan that was roped in by Drive to Survive, and I told you my focus group of one and my wife, they actually watched a few episodes. They were enjoying it. It didn't stick. Yeah. And my son certainly is not getting up early on Saturday morning to watch a race, so that you know it didn't convert him. I'm not sure about how many of his friends. Are now F1 followers, but there there's no denying there are a bunch of casual F1 fans. So my question to you is: are you emboldened by the fact that all this other stuff is going on and that drivers are seen and social clip is is glowing everywhere and you know the teams have gotten a lot more control over the social media and you're reaching fans that way. Are you cool with sort of casual fans touching the sport? Without being hardcore or being converted to hardcore,
1: I think I am, and I think this nuance is is what I think gets missed a lot in this this, this narrative that drive to survive pushed a lot of people to F one, um, and then a lot of people, and I know a lot of them, your 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 wife and and Jackson, maybe two others who watched the show. Tried to watch the races, and we're like, actually, I don't think the races are all that interesting. But I think a lot of those people do stay, in some ways, in the F1 orbit to a degree, and I think that's valuable for F1. Even if, even if I'm not watching the races, even if I don't know who won the the, the Miami Grand Prix on Sunday. If I'm at least casually tuning in on social media or elsewhere, taking a look at what celebrities are there, laughing at the funny on-track interviews during uh, during practice rounds or before the thing itself, uh, taking a look at what the crazy luxury hospitalities look like, the fake the fake yacht on the infield, all that stuff. I, I think it's it does feel like in, in some ways maybe this is just a, a uniquely modern 21st century sport, and maybe they're just way ahead of everybody else, but F1 seems to have created created... created fandom, totally outside and totally divorced from the actual competition of the sport itself. And I think that's really valuable. And the NBA is the only sport in America that I can think of that is even close to touching that, where there is so much drama and so much intrigue and so much celebrity outside of who's actually winning and losing when the game is played.
2: All right. So you're cool with like, you know, a thousand or so private jets going to Miami you saw the poolside or the trackside poolside cabanas, right? Did you see they, they had poolside cabanas like I on the track I did. and I saw know, the bringing prices in about of a them half
1: were insane.
2: Yeah, yeah, half a million dollars in revenue from that. Then did you see the paddock that they built? The luxury paddock yep. where the each brand each 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 race team had an area. Um, so you're talking about here's the big word, you're t- you're talking about experience. Experience. Right? You're talking about experience. What have we said about the future of sport venues? Smaller venues, more premium experience. I get a feeling that F1 is really starting to hold on to that. And Brad Pitt shows up and you've got a movie coming out and you've got Roger Federer shows up. That's what's aspirational, high-end experience. What better place than Miami to showcase all of that, generate revenue, how to convert Oh, time and time again into, into different revenue-generating ideas? We'll see. But um, that, that's, what they've, that's what they've done here. And you know what it feels like to me? It's far less of a sporting event. I think we're going to see this a lot, that it's not just the sporting event now. It, it's almost like South by Southwest. It, it's the week-long festival. It's the parties leading up to. It's the conferences around it. It's the preparation on the race. It, it's not just race day, winner, loser. I got tickets to the game anymore. It's it's a very Super Bowl-esque, how do we make this be a very corporate-friendly, experiential, week-long festival? That's what F1 does when it pulls in. And when you do it in places like Miami, Austin, and Las Vegas... Uh, It seems to fit in with the vibe of the cities.
1: That's exactly the point that I'm trying to make is that the, yeah, the F1 has done such a good job of of creating things that people who are not fans or have tickets or care about the race itself that want to be there for events. And I think you're right. I think at some point we may see numbers, but the amount of people that go to Miami last week. To take part in some F1 festivities, probably vastly outstrips the amount of people that had tickets to actually go to the actual race or even a practice round. The end, the Super Bowl is a great example. Some college football events have this also, where people will travel without tickets just to be there for the weekend of the event. But it's rare. The, the, the Stanley Cup finals don't do this. The NBA finals don't really do this. There's not much on the US sports calendar that has that impact where I don't have tickets but I'll go 3 days before the event and me and my friends will hang out and we'll go to all the other shoulder programming like concerts or 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 or, or parties whatever it is the, the Super Bowl is the is the easy and obvious example here in the US but we don't really have those things outside of the Super Bowl and maybe some college some big college football games and that that seems to be the real big success of F1 and the breakthrough you
2: know what I in being in Miami you know what i really interested in? And this, I mean, this is apropos of nothing, but outdoor billboards. I'm really now interested <laughs> in the business of outdoor billboards because there were drivers I'd never heard of. There were ads in like, like I make a, you know, walking around downtown, I, I make a turn. There's a street with maybe 10 people on the entire day and this huge billboard for F1, a particular team, a particular racer who decides who gets that billboard. What's the ROI? What do they charge? Outdoor signage, I think we have to order up a story on outdoor signage and just sort of the whole ecosystem. How does this get? It's not like it's on, on 95. It's not like it's, you know, you see the billboards on the New Jersey Turnpike where lots of people will encounter it. Just random places all over Miami where I happen to—I mean—and again, this was not high traffic area. Just oh, look, there's a driver I've never heard of, and okay, I see. Um, Heineken did a, an ad with this person and put him on the billboard where maybe ten people see it today.
1: Are you allowed to on your own property just erect a billboard and sell it? Is, do you need like a commercial zone or a license or something? This to, is what this is.
2: You know, I have no answer to this question, <laughs> but you, this this is what I appreciate. More I think this podcast works, Eben. I, I came out with a ridiculous idea. Like this is what was in my head. And you're like, you know what? Wait a minute. I have a question about this.
1: Yeah. It's like the the, the people who live near near um, near Lambeau Field that, that that are allowed to sell parking on their front lawns, right? I do wonder if, if you live close to an F1 race or, or, or near the track in Miami, if you're just allowed to erect for... For for two weeks, a a decently priced sign to to, to put a driver's face on it.
2: Yeah, we used to do that. My apartment, my senior year of college, uh, we used to let people park on our lawn and in the driveway because we were about a three-minute walk from the carrier dome. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, the only problem was, you know, we told people you need to come right back. And when they didn't, or for whatever reason, they were late, everybody was angry with us because we didn't have keys. This was not like a professional valet <laughs> service. We just let you pull in our lawn, and you know, we got as many cars as we could, and it paid for our everything.
1: What did you charge for? Uh, for I a think it was twenty bucks. Game.
2: I think I think it was twenty bucks. That's not nothing. Yeah, that's well, nice no, thing. and especially I mean, we probably got my guess would be twelve to fifteen cars, if I recall. That took care of all the food and bev for us to sit there, not go to the game. And enjoy ourselves and watch at home. Love this. Anyway, yeah. why do you have by the F underneath? I know you have barstool there, but we also wanted to talk Kentucky Derby because I mm. think it's sort of luxury adjacent yeah. to F one, right? Uh, the, unfortunately, though, I think the big story this year, even heading into the race and maybe even coming out of the race, has nothing to do with who won or lost. It's who survived. Yeah. or did it? So did the horse survive? Whole lot of horse deaths going into the race.
1: I'm really bad and 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 I think the sad truth and 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 the real truth may be that this is it's more common than I think a lot of people think in in horse racing but uh yeah I believe seven horses died in in the week or two weeks in, in the run up at, at at the Kentucky Derby including two horses during Saturday during some of the undercard races and and that obviously does not include the the, the favorite uh in, in the main Kentucky Derby who was scratched uh heading into the race because of an injury uh, that that horse suffered. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the in, in, in a lot of ways, I think this, this, this week of horse racing is going to be remembered for the, for, for the number of horses and, and one of the, or two of these horses, Scott, I don't know if you read this or were, were the same owner, jockey trainer, Combination, yeah. and they both died kind of suddenly after workouts, and and I think that that combination had another horse running on Saturday that that the Kentucky Derby decided not to allow a race because of the suspicious circumstances. But um, there is a very ugly underbelly to horse racing, and we we certainly don't need to get into it on this show. But it certainly um, didn't
2: stop people from betting on the race.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the other thing: the uh, the, the, the 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 betting handle. Uh, was, uh, was huge. I don't have the number in front of me, but it was like $500 million or something like that. It set a record for on track, uh, live at the track betting. And then obviously betting around the country on the race also really high. I think horse racing betting is definitely catching some of the tailwinds of of just kind of more, more, more prevalent legal sports betting around the country. I think for a lot of people who, who maybe wouldn't have bet on horses five years ago if they're betting kind of consistently on their FanDuel or DraftKings app that come Saturday morning, especially now that, that those apps have launched their own horsing, horse racing uh, verticals as well. I think it just kind of feeds into that. So despite, you're right, despite all these injuries and, and and kind of the ugly reminder of what this sport can be at times, uh, the interest, at least from a gambling standpoint, was, uh, was higher than it's ever been.
2: So if I am in... The horse racing world, and I'm thinking, okay, what are the risks to my business? Right, what are the material risks to my business? Where do I put horse deaths? Do people care? Is this a material risk to my business? I'm reading a, a statement from the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority, and normally, you know, they come out swinging against tracks, against owners but i mean they were very kind to churchill downs so churchill downs has been cooperating with hisa since its inception and is in full compliance with our rules and processes yada yada on and on there's an investor an independent investigation going on as to as to what might have happened but if i'm an owner if i'm if i'm just in this world do i worry that casual fans will eventually just turn away i, I right now the kentucky derby would be exhibit a of no
1: yeah it's 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 a good question because th- this this seems to happen every few years is that there's just a spate of very high profile deaths or a single track will have a spate of high profile deaths. And then the conversation jumps up a lot. And and if you remember in out in California, I think maybe three or four years ago, there were like 25 horses that died over the course of a racing season. And people were up in arms around that. I don't think it really had a, had a massive impact on, on fan engagement or even casual fan engagement. I, I still think I would worry about it. I mean, I think that the, Yeah, I think that the the treatment of horses is is something that could is always a theoretical concern and maybe long term danger to 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 the business. One of the things that stuck out to me reading about these seven deaths, Scott, is that they were all they all seem to be different things, right? A couple of these horses stumbled on the track. And, and had to be put down a couple of these, one of these horses hurt himself during training. One of the horses got spooked in the paddock and ended up like flipping upside down in in how scared he was. And and I think he broke his neck. It it was a whole host of different things, right? So it wasn't even like there was a single issue that was going on consistently that was getting things that could be regulated. It it just showed, I think, the fragility of the sport and the competitors uh, in a way. And, and, and again, because of how, the way that horses live I think the, the sad truth for a lot of people is that this relatively minor injuries or injuries that, that appear like they might be minor um, can be life-threatening for, for horses so right. yeah I think it's a, I, I would imagine if I was a, a horse race a horse owner um, yeah I think looking 20 years down the line I don't think it's crazy to think that the that that, that, that horse you know the health concerns and the ethical concerns of of, of the physical harm done to horses is a, is a concern for the for the sport long term.
2: I am very interested in looking at your your high tech sign behind you. That <laughs> why did you write barstool? You have B A R S cap or T capital and then two lowercase l. Just is there a reason? Is there something I need to know, or is <laughs> yeah, it just a, it's an Illuminati just signal yeah, to uh, just, to
1: our to our five video listeners? Uh, yeah, no, there's there's. <laughs> I'm looking at it now backwards on my screen. Uh, there's no reason that I did that. I think All I was right. probably just trying to condense space, this is my guess.
2: All right. So how do we do... Deal- I think what got a lot of attention here... I mean, there were there were pen results. Yeah. And then there was sort of this... And I'm not a Barstool listener, as you know. Um, but I just don't have time. This is not sort of a moral judgment on anything. I just... Yeah. I do what I need to do. But one of the guys there, uh, he he was reading rap lyrics and and used an epithet and wound up getting fired and portnoy dave portnoy barstool's founder which sold to penn made a big deal out of how he didn't think the 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 guy should have been fired but with the new corporate overlords and there's licensing involved and penn officials were worried about the actual business and would they yank license i mean that's what happens when you sell control right you lose control when you sell um but overall how is how is barstool performing as a sports book for penn
1: yeah, not well, I think is the is the easy answer. The the last numbers that I saw, Scott, I think Barstool Sportsbook has, I think it was just around two percent of the of the US market uh, for, for gross gaming on online revenue, which is not a huge number, right? And, far and Barstool, below
2: their projections when far they acquired below Barstool. The they, projections. they had great anticipation.
1: And and the uh, so much of sports US sports betting is still kind of an experiment. And so many different companies came into this market with different Theories on why they were going to be successful. And, and and the Penn Barstool tie-ups theory was, we don't need to spend a ton on advertising. We don't need to do what FanDuel and DraftKings are doing, which is buying up billboards, Scott, in Miami, probably, or, or maybe not Miami because Florida is not legal, but <laughs> buying up billboards, TV spots, online advertising, social the, the Barstool theory was, we don't need to spend all that because we have Barstool, which is itself a massive uh, marketing platform already. So so Penn believed that buying Barstool was going to allow them in one transaction to essentially acquire a lot of the marketing need that you would have otherwise had. And I think right now, it's fair to say that it has not worked out to the degree that they wanted it to, right? That, that Barstool's, uh, th- their audience probably very well overlaps with a group of, of sports betters but it doesn't mean that they necessarily have affinity towards a single sports book i would bet a lot of barstool avid barstool listeners are gambling on other apps like like draftkings or FanDuel or or, or points bet or others um and, and so i think that, that that's part of it for sure i think the the the, the results that that, that pen dropped last week uh showed that maybe the maybe the thesis there wasn't as as ironclad as, as as people thought it out to be but i think the second thing which which you did mention and, you know, at the top, you're right about exactly how that all played out. I think there is always going to be concern that, because of the kind of edgy nature of Barstool's content, that things happen on those platforms. That if Barstool was a standalone entity still run by by Dave Portnoy, would be received very differently than if Barstool is now owned by a very heavy regulated company in in Penn National that that does have to worry about. The even errors, mistakes made by someone who is very quickly reading reading rap lyrics on a, on a live stream, uh, that can affect and that can have an impact on on licensing, right? So I, I do think the a lot of the concerns about the tie up when and I think Penn paid about five hundred and fifty million dollars for Barstool all told but the thought here was that bringing a company like barstool into a heavily regulated world was going to be like oil and water to a degree and i think we saw that in, in a very real way last week
2: i have a question for you and you know I am not one on the betting apps all the time. And I, you're one of those folks who, before betting was legal in New York, you would you know, go across the GW, get halfway, and say, oh, I'm in Jersey, geoligate, hey, and place yeah, your bet. We call those deadbeats,
1: so, Scott. That's uh, the, yeah, yeah well, exactly. That's you didn't have word, your stained,
2: yeah. ripped white T-shirt on in an OTB. <laughs> but anyway, you were about as close as you could be at this, this point. Um, here's my question. Because I, I am fascinated by sort of sports book brand affiliation, like I I'm not a high, high-end player. I guess that's about you, UX and do they give a different product. But if I like Joe Schmo, me and my pals and you, we're casual bettors, I'm just looking for... The, if I'm going to make a bet, I just want the best line. Yeah. Uh, to me, I, I just search for the... If they're all even, I don't know. I have no idea why I would pick one over the other. But do does any sports book have almost like a, a loyalty rewards program? But I, I mean specific. This is what I... One time a year, if you wager... Pick the X. What, what's a lot? What's a good number where a house is sure to make some money off somebody? If in a year you have wagered a calendar year, you have wagered uh, $50,000, I don't okay. know. All right. You get a one time chance to boost or 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 go down on a line by 10% of whatever we we put up. One yeah. time, you can say if, if the spread is seven or 10, you can make it 11 and a half. What, you, you get where I'm going. A, a real rewards program.
1: The the sound you hear there is the folks who listen to this podcast who work for Fanatics nodding their head uh, vigorously. the 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 the, Ooh, the I like when
2: Michael. I like when Michael Rubin nods his head. In, in approval. In approval, right?
1: The the new Fanatic sports book. This is their value proposition. It is this idea that because of all the other things Fanatics does, jerseys, T shirts collectibles trading cards whatever else Michael might want to get into in the future this belief that creating a rewards program around all of the e-commerce aspects of sports in the fanatics ecosystem is going to be the the driver there right and, well, and it's not I agree a, I agree it's not a fully new concept if you are a if you sports bet on bet MGM for example you're getting MGM rewards same with Caesars the, the as you know very well Scott the the, the casino Legacy companies do very well in their rewards programs. Yeah. They have hotels, they have Free concerts, yeah, exactly. they have. But I'm, I mean, this is the actual bet.
2: But I don't want all that. I I'm here because I bet. I want I want to be able to move the line or something in my favor. Once or twice a year,
1: a lot of the rewards programs are just redeemable for for dollars, right? So if okay. you get ten thousand, you know, okay. crowns on DraftKings, that can be a hundred dollars that you can then that you can then pour back into a bet or so. But yes, right. I think everyone's trying to figure this out because because the the big debate that no one's really answered is is price the thing is user experience the thing? Is it, uh, is it the, the the name brand, the recognition? Is it just the the first one you download? Is that the one you use? What actually is the thing that gets people to stick with a single sports book? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of people have different theories and I don't think there is a concrete, I don't think there's a concrete answer, at least not yet.
2: All right. Well, there is a concrete answer as to where Bronny James will be attending. I believe it's concrete. Is it cement yet? I mean, I guess it could change his (laughs) mind. We'll see. It's it's wet cement. It's wet cement. (laughs) Yeah. The handprint can still be made, but it can still it's still uh, uh, you know available to for extraction. Uh, Bronny James at least told the world he is intending to go to USC. He'll be playing near dad with the Lakers. By the way, Lakers are a great story in their own right. Right? Like they were they were dead. Nobody was talking about the Lakers a couple months ago. Now. Now I'm like, hey, are they going to the finals? Are they going to win the
1: championship? <laughs> they <laughs> certainly might, yeah.
2: Certainly could be. But uh, just your thoughts, Bronny staying in Hollywood and the uh, NIL opportunities and the fact that his dad wants to play with him and all the money and revenue that may be brought into the college basketball program, which, by the way, already had a darn good recruiting class without him.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hu- obviously a huge win for, for USC. It feels very much like the the O.J. Mayo... Class that went to USC, whatever that was, a decade, decade and a half ago. It wasn't just OJ, it was a few other big names. Uh, and and the thought was USC basketball could be was back, that Taj right? what's his name yeah, Taj Gibson Taj, Taj Gibson yeah I think it's Taj ha, ha, Gibson ho ho hey oh, hey ho. Am, come on give
2: it up I am give it shocked up. by that guy give it up
1: I, I cannot <laughs> believe
2: nice. I pulled out Taj Gibson from OJ Mayo <laughs> very you.
1: nice um, yeah so I I feel like we've been down this road once or twice with USC before but the NIL aspect you nailed it I think makes this a totally different different thing right the ability to be in the second biggest media market in the country, to to be a star with some real serious uh, family name recognition, uh, to be able to piggyback off of that. There's nothing, I I don't think, that says that they couldn't appear in ads together. Do something together. Father and and son in LA. That's where my mind went, do stuff together. How about a signing session where both LeBron and Bronny are side-by-side? You can get things signed by both, whatever it is. I think there's a lot that they can do together. I would guess, I have no idea, I would guess that that factored into this is his ability to 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 do things kind of very locally with his father for most of the year. Seems really valuable. Um, I don't know if Bronny plans to play one year in, in school and, and let that be it, but if well, he doesn't... I mean, if,
2: if his dad wants to play with him, I think it would behoove both of them to get to the NBA as quickly
1: agreed. as possible. Agreed. So imagine that he does that. But in the in the world that he doesn't, the, the, the transfer rules also mean that if it doesn't work out at USC, he could be playing at Duke or Kentucky the year after that if, if he wants to. There's so much more freedom now. But the, the big takeaway for me is, is, is the NIL opportunity in Southern California, in that market, playing in the same place that his dad is, feels like it is a no-brainer. And I would imagine again like, we laugh about the Mount Rushmore of NIL, I think Bronny James could be making a making a uh He's get his push own. to get his face on that Mount Rushmore. Well, he gets uh, in, a separate, he may have months, a separate one before sure. it's all said and done. Exactly, right? exactly. The
2: face of over the four on Mount Rushmore.
1: Or, or next to the Hollywood sign in LA, maybe. <laughs>
2: yeah, something like that. All right, let's finish up. We only got a couple of minutes. Uh Redbird, our friends at Redbird Capital Partners, Jerry Cardinal's shop. Uh, they have ga- garnered, what, $2.3 billion in capital commitments so far for Fund 4, their fourth fund, and related vehicle. So it's not just the fund. But the interesting part to me is that $750 million of that total is coming from Abu Dhabi, which is IMI, which is Sheikh Mansour, which is owner of, who is owner of Manchester City. That fund is going to be run by Jeff Zucker. Of course, Jerry will be the chief investment officer, but it's going to focus on sports and media and entertainment entities on a global scale. So happy hunting to Jeff Zucker backed by the shakes money.
1: I think this is a perfect topic, Scott, to, to finish this episode that we started talking about with F1, right? And and the things yeah. that F1 has done so well is merging sport with luxury and fashion and entertainment. I think of, of Redbird Capital as also very much understanding and being on the forefront of that combination, which is that if you can... By AC Milan, and you can tap into the local fashion aspects in the fashion capital of the world. That there are synergies there that maybe were untapped before, and
2: especially if The Rock can show up because you co own a football league
1: with. Hundred percent, and if you have Skydance, one of the the bigger uh, entertainment studios making big huge blockbuster movies like 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 Maverick, like, there's so much there's so much little synergies there and overlap. And I think Jerry and, and Redbird really understand that in the same way that F1 does. And I again I think this is the future of so much of our business, which is that the what what happens on the field is is really only a small part of what creates fandom. And that you can do these big either live events or or media content plays, whatever it is, you can kind of mix all of these things together in a way that, that grows the pie bigger than any of these things would have been if they were just owned solo and, and doing partnerships on their own.
2: All right. I've been Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soschnick on Twitter at Soschnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sporticast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.